Hello, this is Jay, and welcome to another episode of Suggested Donation. Today we'll be talking with Carlo Russo, famed artist, along with Tony the Idea Cerni and Ted the Wave Minoff. Enjoy today's episode, and remember, always, Treckle.com is shipping right now. Get all of your art supplies delivered direct to your door. T-R-E-K-E-L-L, Treckle.com. Suggested you know, I've had, you know, long term, I've wanted to like build a, you know, a studio and yeah. Being being home for so when the kids eventually get home from school uh, when they get a little bit older um, so you know a lot of different reasons yeah how old are your kids uh, four and nine months yeah. wow you're in the, you're in the <laughs> you're in the thick of it you're in the thick of it with the nine months yeah yeah I'm an and a four year old is brutally I'm, like I'm, I'm like I'm an old dad too I I had my first one at forty and my second one at uh, you know, almost what it was 44 and a half or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Same with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although Ted, you you had your you had uh, Reppin. You were you were younger than he's 12. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you had so in my 30s. My daughter, we had, she just turned nine. So yeah, yeah, you were you were a few years ahead of me. There, <laughs> <laughs> Ted, Ted been up. Hey Carlo, Jay Jay Bronze on as well. Hi, hey, hi Jay. I just my camera doesn't work. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. It's but okay. I'm here. I'll be lurking in the background the whole time. Cool. Yeah. Um, so Carlo, just out of curiosity, are you um you're just on your phone right now or in your computer? Well, I'm on my good. laptop, and I have the um so I have my iPhone next to me with the voice memo app open. So cool. I don't, oh, nice. if you want, I can start recording that anytime you tell me when. Perfect. Send that file to uh, Jay. And Name it something cute. It. Yeah, something <laughs> okay. adorable. Okay, uh, sure. Like pink cupcake. I think Ted. Ted. Ted's not drinking tonight. I think you got. You got. You got yourself a. a ouchie. I, I, I just got painkillers. I'm just oh, drinking yeah, painkillers. I, I heard you hurt your back. Uh, I, I mean, a dad with a hurt back. What's going on? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I managed to I, take a cool thing and make it uncool. I was uh, <laughs> fixing my motorcycle and I threw my back out. <laughs> That's what he's going to tell everybody. <laughs> Didn't want to siphon the gas off. So I had a full gas tank and I had to like get it out of the way to lift the battery out. And uh, I have a scar on my stomach and I, I tell people that I got stabbed during a gang fight. Oh, man. <laughs> That's Which, believable. Did that, did that not happen? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, welcome to Suggested Donation. <laughs> I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Sterani. Hi, guys. That was Jay Brown. Jay, Jay and Braun we're joined the by the one, the only, Carlo <laughs> oh man, it's it's a heck of an introduction. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm Michael Buffer. <laughs> you better. Yeah, it's a total. Mind. You're gonna have to. Now you're gonna have to fight tonight <laughs> with that type of introduction. Seriously. So man. we were just discussing. We were just discussing before you jumped on. You're 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 right outside of Philly right now, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, no, you're in Philly right this moment. Well, this tonight moment. I am. Tonight. But, but we actually live in uh, a town called Media, which is about a half hour south of Philadelphia. Um, but, but uh, yeah, tonight I'm, I'm actually in Philadelphia. Uh, we're, we're here till Tuesday. You have a so, studio set up there or it's full-time dad? Uh, so I, I have a studio in Philadelphia in an area like uh, it's called, they call it Fishtown area. Okay. So I, I've I been there. Coffee for like, from Fishtown. Yeah. It's a cool spot. I mean, it's, we, we lived over there for a number of years. Um, Philly area. Is that kind of where you're from? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much been here. Uh, Philly. So like Philly and the, the outskirts most of my life. Um, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I lived briefly in New Jersey and, and also New Orleans, uh, but, but, uh, Orleans. uh, well, it was a very, it was funny. It was a very, uh, you know, an ill-fated move. I, I moved there two weeks before Katrina happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's weird, man. It was, it was, so, you know, that happened and then, uh, it was just kind of like, a you know, the universe saying, you know, you don't belong there. And I came <laughs> back to Philly and that was it. Never, I you know, haven't left. What how long were you? How how long were you, you down there? There, for? were you planning on giving it all up to be a musician? No, no. You know, I don't know. I, I thought I thought I'd kick myself if I didn't get like get myself out of the house. You know, so, <laughs> so you gave I, it two weeks, and then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Katrina well, the was hurricane, like, nah. The hurricane decided for me. You know, it's just like you are not meant to be here. So yeah, you know, I moved back to Philly, and I, I basically I got an apartment with a big north light window or semi north light anyway and i just um you know that became my studio and living space so and that was that was you know i never moved back home after that well you know it's it's weird i i, I i've been seeing on facebook or there's a bunch of artists who are like living in new york or la and they're all kind of moving out and going to areas where they can like you were saying, build a studio and just kind of be able yeah. to work. I mean, if anything, that what's going on right now in like the COVID year that we've all been in is people sort of reassessing. And this is Tony constructing a rationale for being in yeah. Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> for as long as I've been in here now. <laughs> but it's, it's just weird because um, that's the first thing I think about when you were saying, oh, you know, we were, I was thinking of you know, whatever relocating, I wasn't sure where, but it's like, that's the first thing I start hearing is all these people sort of reassessing what, what they're going to do as an artist to be able to keep on doing what we're doing. Sure. Because I mean, being the artist is, uh, it's, it's always, it's the road less traveled, right? I mean, all your friends, they get jobs in corporate America and the, you know, they have all these sort of quote unquote normal things. And, uh, normal lives. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but, uh, so yeah, I guess being an artist, you're always, um, I, I mean, it is risky, right? I mean, it's kind of a crazy, strange way to make a living. And you, I feel like, you know, even if you're good and like, I feel like you need some luck in this business. I don't know. Maybe I'm <laughs> a, lot. Yeah, a, a lot. Yeah. A lot of luck. <laughs> a lot of luck. Yeah like being at the right place at the right time. And like, there's just so many things. I, I, I mean, you know, uh, God, it's a, to me, like the whole, this whole path that I've been on since, um, since I decided to go to um, PAFA, you know, two, in the year 2000, I started. Um, so that's right out of high school? No, no, no. I'm, I, I was an older student when I 
started. So I, by the time I got to PAFA, I was probably already 23 or 24, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I went to, um, so I, I, I putzed around at community college for a little bit. Um, uh, were you doing art at this time when you were kind of just finding your way before? By the way, PAFA is the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania um, Academy, of Fine Arts. Academy of Fine Art. Yeah. yeah. So, so at, when I went to, um, so community college, I wasn't really, no, I, I mean, I took art history and I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really go too much and I failed art history. Did you get the I, big Jansen? You failed art history? <laughs> well, cause I didn't. See, I, I wasn't really going to class at the time. Uh, I, I sort of, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was um, like, Manet, Monet, I'll figure it out at the exam. It's, it's really sad. I mean, so I was basically, by the time at this point at community college, I was, I was playing a lot of basketball. And um, honestly, I, it was like, not that I was ever going to make any money at it, but I, I just felt that I, um, I wanted to play basketball. <laughs> like, you wanted to be a pro. No, no, I had no. Listen, I was never going to make a dime playing basketball. I just liked playing and I didn't want to be in class. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a bad, like basketball bad, hustling or something. <laughs> no, 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 I just, just pick up games at the gym, you know. Um, and I, you know, I, I, that was sort of how I was spending my time. And eventually, I ended up going to the Art Institute of Philly after that. And that's when I started to sort of focus on something that was, you know, a direction, at least it was something creative. Um, so I went for fashion design. And so, you know, you're, you're learning how to, um, well, you're learning how to sew and pattern making and you're, you're doing, um, you're drawing flats and you're doing basically learning how to make clothes. And it, it was really hard. Um, it was, it was, to me, it was a very, um, very challenging, um, discipline or, you know, or f- field of study, um, you know, like creating a pattern, um, and then building that in the sewing room with sewing, you know, yeah. spending all day sewing. I mean, it's like really hard now. Can some you still are, sew? No, thank God. No. Um, I, 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 um, after I, graduated there um i like so i graduated from art institute uh, at the end of 99 and like january i don't know maybe it was january of 2000 i started at pafa so it was like one out of one school and immediately into pafa and uh, there's a certain point um at art institute where i realized that you know that field was not my calling in life it was not um I didn't want to work in that field. Basically, I, I just realized it wasn't the right place for me. Um, was there a time where you really felt like fashion? This is this is for me. Well, uh, you know, good question. I don't know if it, I think in the beginning I had a lot more interest in it. Um, I think when I started really getting into the, the technical side of it, sort of like the sewing and the pattern making and the draping. Um, it's, it's not quite what I really wanted to do. I, I, I mean, I, I was more interested in, I think the sketching part of it, sort of coming up with the designs. Like cool designs and everything. Yeah, like that was a lot more interesting to me. Um, so, you know, the, so the aspect of sketching um, was more interesting. And I thought, well, okay, if I want to draw, um, then maybe, you know, I shouldn't, you know, 
do something, <laughs> learn how to draw, like actually right. like real drawing, <laughs> like real drawing classes, you know? So uh, at, at a certain point, I, um, one of my classmates went to PAFA and she was the one that sort of introduced me to PAFA. And I, I went for a tour and I saw the cast hall and they have, you know, they have, you know, tons and tons of casts, like including a, uh, you know, a life-size replica of uh, David, right? So, I, you know, I walk in that, into the cast hall, I'm like, wow, what the heck is this? Like, oh my God, this is <laughs> insane. And anyway, that was kind of, that kind of cinched it for me. Um, so I, I, you know, I enrolled and, you know, I graduated from Art Institute and I was like right back in school full time. And, you know, once I did that, it was just like, you know, this is, you know, I didn't really think too far ahead, but I knew I was in the right place uh, as far as like the, 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 you know, what direction I wanted to go in with my, my, my studies. So were you introduced to any painting? Cause when I think about your work, I just think of like, yeah, Carlos is awesome painter. So were you painting at all at this point? At, at, you're, now you're talking about at Art Institute or at Path? At Inst no, at Art Institute before that, when you're under the whole fashion. No, I, I wasn't doing any painting. Okay. I, I knew nothing about oil painting. Um, you know, the, the, I'd say the one class I took there, I, 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 one, I had a, uh, a teacher there. I actually had gotten in touch with him last year. Uh, his guy's named Jack Martin. He was a, he, he's an illustrator and he taught color theory there. And it was like an amazing class. It was like, holy crap, like this, this is pretty amazing. Like, you know, I, I literally nothing about color theory or the color wheel or, um, you know, anything really. And, and Jack had this class and it was just like, holy shit, like this is pretty, pretty awesome stuff. Anyway, so I, I took that and that, that was like really eye opening and it really, I never looked at color the same way after that. Um, and I did have a color class, uh, also another color theory class at PATH. And it was just like, it was like, this is not even close to, you know, the class yeah. I took at Art Institute. It was just like that, it was that good. And I, um, anyway, I, I reached out to him like last year and I just said, hi. And I was like, Hey, I was in your class. And by the way, that was a, you know, amazing class. And <laughs> just like, you know, just wanted to touch base, he, he, you know, it's nice nice to like just thank people who you know helped you <laughs> yeah so when you trans transitioned over were you like okay i'm going to go all in with this whatever you want to call it class the traditional classical painting or did you have to kind of find your way through that as well um well i mean i knew the direction i wanted and i, I was interested like you know just like many of the people we have on the show are interested in learning and uh, learning realist or classical painting techniques. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you, the, the, you know, prior to, you know, world war two type, you know, work, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. um, so I knew that. And I, I sort of, I really didn't know, you know, I really see PAF is kind of an interesting place or, you know, or at least, you know, the time I was there, there's, there's a lot of teachers and there's a lot of different directions and, and viewpoints. So you have to sort of find your own way. You have to sort of navigate and find who are the teachers who are going to help you, you know, get to where you want to go and, yeah. who, and who to stay away from. And, you know, so I learned some of that quickly and then, you know, some of it I learned the hard way. Uh, but I did find a group of teachers, uh, you know, sort of this core group that I kind of stuck with and, um, you know, fostered that, that desire uh, to, you know, to 
to learn those skills, I guess, you know. Were there artists that you had been looking at or looking at that like were sort of an inspiration for your kind of career hopeful trajectory? You're talking about like living artists or dead artists or anything? anything. Like what were you looking at? <laughs> so, so, you know, Sargent was an early guy for me. I love, I mean, I loved Sargent. Uh, I thought when I go to PATH, I'm like, you know what? I want to paint Porsches. That's what I want to do. And um, uh, I mean, of course I knew like, you know, some of the big names of the Renaissance, uh, but I, you know, Caravaggio, guys like that, you know, big, big names. Um, but, uh, you know, I had sort of had this idea of painting portraits and, and, you know, when I got to PAFA, um, I found I liked the still life room more than I liked, you know, the, the, the portrait class or, or you know, it, why do you think that was, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, cause I, I don't think I was very good at either in the beginning, you know, I, it's just, <laughs> I, I think, um, I don't know. There's something about sitting in front of these something objects. that doesn't have to talk back to. Yeah, you can control <laughs> it totally. Yeah, there's something about that. There's just sort of the patience and the sort of the quiet that you can just get in front of. You, you know, you're sitting in front of something for so long, and there's just sort of this this I don't know this sort of quiet thing that happens, and um, where you can just get to study something and look at it and and be with it. And that you know, I, I don't know if I ever really replicate that with live models, you know, or, you know, people, I just, I, you know, we, we talk and we conversate and we, but there's just, I don't know. I, I just never feel quite the same when I do, uh, when I work from life with, with, you know, people. So I don't know. Do you still feel that way when you're setting up a still life in your studio that just like basking in the kind of quietness of it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like, um, it's, uh, it's the thing that really keeps me, um, it's kind of like my reset button. And that's, that's been hard with this pandemic where I'm not getting to do that a lot because my work hours are cut so much, but it's really, it is sort of a, a healing and sort of this, uh, you know, it's healing. It's, it's invigorating. It's cathartic. It's, it's all these things. Um, um, and I, you know, I do enjoy the quiet. I mean, I love, you know, it's funny. I love listening to music when I paint, but equally as much, I would say uh, I, there are days I don't play anything. I don't play a lick of music where I just, I just go in there and it's just quiet, quiet studio all day. And I, I love except that. For, except for this podcast playing at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I have listened like to a lot donation of podcast 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> yeah. You know, seriously, I, I've listened to, I mean, most of your podcasts in my studio at some point. So that, that too. Yeah. I, I, I love that when you get in the studio and you start working and you kind of forget to turn something on and then all of a sudden it's the end of the day and it's been quiet all day long. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, Ted, not- do you do that when you're out landscape painting? Cause I know I recently, um, with landscape painting and I couldn't believe how comforting the sound of the leaves like the wind oh, and everything because yeah. I'm so yeah. used to either playing a podcast or listening to a book or a little bit of music in my studio that I that's that quiet just the sound of nature I was like oh my god I need to just download yeah. 
Yeah. Sounds I almost never listen to anything when I'm outside painting, except in the city, in which case yeah, I yeah. always have headphones on. They're not a, like not necessarily playing anything, but yeah, just, just to, to keep to people from like harassing me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, on the beach, <laughs> you gotta, like, hey, Ted, you need, more, uh, you need more blue in the section or something. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. People, are, you, you could be sitting there putting a stroke on the canvas. They're like, did you paint that? I'm like, hey, are you being I serious? Actually, <laughs> I created a series of rules. I get that all the time. To like protect myself from getting too like distracted. And one of the rules is I always keep, even if I'm stepping back, I hold a brush out from the very end so that it's connecting me to the panel because otherwise somebody will get in between me and my painting. Oh, when I wow. step back. That's crazy. That that's you know I, I I thankfully I haven't had to deal with that. Like I when I go out landscape painting, I try to find places where I don't find like there's no people. There's so, nobody uh, around. It, you know I I don't I, you know I have run into that where I had weird comments and sort of you know technical advice. People try to, but but yeah. I I'm, I'm the few times I do go landscape painting now, I I, I just really try to find out of the way places. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. It's nice. And when it comes to painting portraits, I always feel like there's that time restriction that you need to have because they're there, they're working, you're paying them. I'm as money. Yeah. Meters running. Money. Yeah. And there's this, there's this like not, and I love it, but like the, the freedom of just being in front of the still life and being on my time. There's also yeah. an element of control that like when you're painting with a person, they're actively involved in the process. Yeah. And they're, when you're painting a still life, it's it's entirely you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I like to like it up. You're manipulating up and... the light. You're controlling every element of it. Yeah, maybe I like that. Maybe that's maybe I I, I like having complete control over every single tiny little decision and um, not having to like uh, you know feel like I'm you know, intruding too much on the model or, yeah. um, you know, or, or being too pushy or something or too demanding. Um, you know, my, my, my objects never have talked back to me yet. So, uh, <laughs> they will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> give it you know time. yeah, I mean, give it, right. Well, eventually, um, you know, maybe that'll happen, but, um, once you so snap as a dad, yeah. <laughs> the what? Once you snap as a dad. Yeah. Oh, I, I've already snapped. It's okay. <laughs> You've all seen Mr. Mom, right? Michael Keaton. Yeah. I was just yeah, telling yeah. my wife the other day, like, I feel like some, some days I feel like Michael Keaton, that scene where he's, he comes out and he's got like, you know, dirty sweatpants, flannel <laughs> shirt, the beard's grown out. And he's like, I'm losing it. You know, like that's some days I feel like that. It's I'm looking, I'll look at that part at this point and be like rookie. I just feel like I'm losing it <laughs> every day, all day long. I just want it's to It's hard as painters, home. we're used to like working at home. So yeah. maybe that's not such a big change, but we're not used to having so much company. Yes. No. And demands and you know, yeah. get, get me this, get me that, change. I feel like like oh man it's just like non-stop i mean listen it's great i love i i mean i would never in a million years have, have this much time with my kids and so it's, yeah. it's really you know i can't say you know enough about you know i'm very grateful in that sense but it is also very hard and i, I was tony was saying this the other day and it, 
you know, painters, I think we're, we're selfish with our time. You know, we want to be in the studio and um, when you can't and you're like doing other things and, you know, it's hard and uh, it's been a real challenge. My, you know, my hours have just been cut so much. Um, uh, I mean, I'm getting a little bit, but you know, not, not, not what I need to really feel satisfied in there right now. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get vaccine vaccinated soon, <laughs> my <laughs> wife soon. And we could then maybe give, give, um, the kids to my mom for a day a week or something and get, let me have an extra day. Of work. I, mean, I don't know, whatever we can do. We're all, which is, you know, like everybody was trying to figure out how to, how to manage this with, with our kids and so forth. I know when we were talking the other day on the phone and we were talking about that sort of selfishness, you know, when we say it out loud, it almost sounds like it's this bad thing, but it's not, it's something we need to do. It's like, we have to do it because what we do is really demanding on time. I know that when my daughter, now that we're around each other 24 seven, pretty much when she comes back into the studio, cause my right now in Dallas, I still have my studio in New York, but I have a studio here in Dallas and it's just separated from our house. My daughter would come in the back and she would see me working on the same painting for, you know, weeks. Yeah. And she just is like, I didn't know you did it. like that. And I was like, yeah, this is why I'm always just kind of like, I need to go in the back cause they take really long time. Cause she's, I mean, she's nine. She doesn't understand the fact that you don't, you don't do it in one sitting and then walk away forever. Right. You know? She so goes like, back in the house and she's like, he's not working very hard. <laughs> he's just staring. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know you were mentioning about completely controlling everything you, uh, you're doing with your painting, which I understand, but I know you're controlling it to the point that you started making your own frames. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did that start? man that that's it's another there's a rabbit hole yeah yeah seriously you know it that goes really back to my early path days you know i was um it's basically like you know i was i was you know i'd make like a cast drawing or something that i'd like and i'd say you know okay i'll I'll frame it up and i'll enter it in um you know one of the path shows or something you know like the student student shows and you know you get the framing bill you're like they're like, damn, like, yeah, that's a lot of money. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and so really the, the, the motivation was pretty simple in the beginning. It was just like, can I find a way to do it like as good, but like way cheaper than, and, and you know, if I did some of it on my own and that was really the, the beginning of it. Um, and I just started out basically by asking other framers, people who, you know, who made their own, um, you know, Hey, what are you willing to share with me? You know, anything. <laughs> and, and actually I had some really, um, a guy in Philly, a couple guys in Philly, a guy named Paul Dussold, uh, who's a painter, uh, in Philly who former PAFA grad. Um, Paul was very generous in sharing, uh, uh, framing knowledge with me. Another guy named Giovanni Cassaday is also a Philly painter and former PAFA guy shared, uh, some framing information with me, he, you know, he invited me over, showed me his shop and, you know, just again, very generous that they both did that and they didn't have to, but they, they gave me some, um, it got me on the road, you could say. And then, um, uh, uh, I even, tro- I even just one day I called Troy Stafford 
And I said, Hey, Troy, I'm, you know, I'm not looking to open a frame shop, but is there anything I could, any advice I could get from you? And, you know, he was very generous also. And uh, so that was the beginning really. And I just started practicing and, you know, I've gotten better over the years, but I, you know, I, I mean, look, I think there, I think it was a nice thing for me to do. And I think it was like, I, I think I've made some nice frames in my day, but you know, there are people who do it that like, you know, they do it better and faster and cheaper than I can ever do it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine with starting to like, I'm dele I, I find I'm delegating more and more of it now uh, to, I, 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 you know, there's, there's a certain creative aspect I like about it and, and the physicalness of, of making frames. I mean, there's painting is physical in a sense, but there's a different physicality to framing. Um, and, you know, when you're using chop saw and you're, you're, you're putting on finishes and you're stripping them off and you're, you're laying on leaf and you're scrubbing it and stripping it and you're doing all these things. There's, there is a sort of, a, it feels gratifying in a way to, to, to do all that. I don't know why. Um, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm well, there's an investment too. I mean, you have to get yeah. miter saws and, and equipment yeah. and, and the sure. space. Yeah. Cause I've, I've definitely dabbled cause I like to make, I'm, I mean, Ted makes fun of me of my control freakiness of everything. <laughs> and when I heard you were making frames, I was just like, you could spend so much time learning the craft too. And it's like, I, you know, I have to, sometimes I have to like stop myself and like, listen, man, you know, you, you spent like three days, you know, three days on this finish. Like you got, you got to like, you got to <laughs> a resolution already. Like, so there, there is a point where I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I think early in my career, like um, it made a lot more sense for me to, to make my own frames. Um, but, you know, I, I think now, like I'm, I'm okay doing less of it and less of it. And, and I, you know, if, if at some point I phase it out in the next few years, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, I, but, I can almost, I can almost see yours. Yours would be tough. And, I, and I'll say this because I think the quality of your work is so good that I would, you know, I remember back in the days when I would talk to some of the old timers and they would be like, hey, your frame has, you know, the idea of putting a frame on your painting, you, you put it on with the idea that this frame is going to be with this painting for the rest of its life. Yeah. Not to say that people don't change frames all the time. Yeah. The idea, the spirit of it. Yeah. Is that this frame is the frame that's going to stay on this this piece for the rest of its life so it has to they have to be they have to match yeah and i look at your paintings i'm like there's at a such a high quality that i'm like man there's gonna to have to be a really high quality frame on this thing to, that's a thing to have it with to frames. have it be even yeah like the other thing is you work so hard on every inch of your painting and for certain frames, like the, if you know if they're if they're like churning out frames, it's not the same thing you're putting on the painting. It's it's like not the same dedication. And if you find if you're lucky enough to find a framer that you can work with who's like puts that into it, yeah, it, it's really gratifying. But. I actually, for a long period, stopped using frames and started building my own panels and then gilding the edges of the panel myself, yeah. just because 
I wanted to create an art object that was fully my creation. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. So initially when I was saying that, that you know, the initial motivation was, was about cost, you know, and that was, that was sort of what got me into it. As I progressed in it, it was really, then it became this idea of like, okay, so I'm competent enough to make a frame and sort of getting better at the finishes and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it sort of got to this point is like, okay, so, you know, I, I was, I was talking to, um, I was talking to Michael Klein about this sort of idea of sort of a marriage between, you know, the picture and frame. And, and as Tony was saying, something that you're creating that you're meaning, you mean for it to stay together forever. And um, so that, that became sort of something later on where, uh, you know, I, I was able to make frames, I think to a, at a decent enough level where I could sort of envision, um, you know, the type of finish I want and sort of, and actually make it happen and sort of create the perfect unity, I guess, between the picture and the frame, um, at least in theory. I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't always hit it exactly the way I want, but I think, you know, I got pretty good at sort of creating a good uh, synergy between the two. So the last couple of years, I've sort of been getting into these um, re uh, what's what I'm trying, what am I trying to say? Sort of newer versions of these Dutch ripple frames. Like Dutch revival. Yeah. The Dutch uh, revival frames. Let's we can call them that. Yeah. So, you know, now that's a little bit different of a beast. So, so I've been sort of, dreaming about these frames for years, but not really sure how to make them. And, you know, after doing a little research, you know, I was reading about like, okay, so these ripple molds, uh, moldings were made on a waving engine, you know, where, where, where can you find a waving engine? And, and so it was really like, it was just like, it seemed like, okay, this is going to be a bridge a little bit too far. Um, and of course, you know, you know, you find out they're, they're actually people doing it. Um, yeah. And it's, so that's, so one it, of the things that, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, if people didn't know what you were talking about, the waving engine and Gerald, I know Gerald Curian at Curian. Curian friends, yeah. I just got a beautiful one from him. Who we love. I, I love Gerald. He's, he's yeah. Great. He's an amazing framer, Jerry. Jerry shout, shout out. Shout out to Jerry. Shout out to but Jerry. Was, yeah. So he was telling me about these, it's almost on this like lev- lever. And like, as the frame goes on, it bounces, it bounces yeah. like a cutting tool Yeah. and it sits there and he, he, it would bounce it. And it, every way you connect it, it bounces a slightly different way that makes a, a different, a different path. And he, when he was researching and doing it and, and making his own style, he was saying that he was looking, to, you know, he met people or, or found old pieces, like old machined cutting tools that he yeah. would find and repurpose uh well not even repurpose but he would find almost like old used ones and then reuse them and they would be like a so cutting. it would cut in a way that that just you don't, they, people don't make now yeah and yeah it's, well it's, it's, it's fascinating a, it was a definitely a, like a sort of a um you know not i don't know lost is the right word but a, almost lost technology it was oh yeah you know uh, the, the, i when what I was reading was the, in America, there was a, uh, a company that made clocks in the, in the 19th century uh, that had waving engines and th- this, this factory burned down. And that was pretty much the end of these waving engines in America. Wow. And that was so like know, the knowledge years. went with the fire. 
Yeah, I mean, well, mostly. Um, I mean, there were people that there were a few, few, and I say few. You know, at least again, as far as I've researched, there were a few individuals I kept alive. There was a, a guy who was making clocks in the in the you know in the twentieth century who rebuilt one. I forget his name, but um, he was a, a clockmaker. Um, there was a there's a guy out in I think Michigan who engineered one himself. He has a video on YouTube. And then there's a guy I work with in um, this guy Tom Matthews up in upstate New York. He um, so I've been buying a lot of frames off of him. Um, he basically engineered one. Um, I don't know what, where did he got, I don't know where he got the plans or the idea to, or how to do it, but he's, he spent, he told me he spent several years sort of working through the plans and, and trying it out and getting it to work right. And, and he has a working waving engine now and he's made beautiful frames for me um, and, and me and other artists. And so he's been sort of, so, you know, I, and I've built ripple frames myself. Um, I, I have, you know, you have to get the moldings for one. So I either buy them from Jerry or Tom, and then you have to attach them to other moldings, like base moldings. And you know, yeah. it's, it's time consuming. It's very time consuming. And you can, I mean, you can get some, I mean, amazing, if you're willing to work through the design aspect of it, which is really hard. It's like, how do you fit all these pieces together? You know, I, I was telling, um, so I had a show, um, up in Boston a while back. Um, uh, and I had a, um, uh, the end, the end of the last year was November and I had a piece in there, uh, on a floral, floral painting, a small eight by 10 frame, um, that I made from all these different pieces of ripple molding. And I, you know, I spent the time working out the design, which was no small feat, but, but just in this eight by 10 frame, I had like, I think I had close to like 30 individual pieces that had, so I had like base molding and then all each strip of, you know, ripple molding and, ripple. and, and other, you know, filler pieces. So it was like, it was like 30 pieces just to assemble the small frame. And it's a, yeah. it's a lot of work and it's like, okay, how wide how was the profile? Say it again. How wide? Oh, I mean, it was probably like three inch profile, maybe. Wow. It's not cramming a lot in a little space. Yeah, it was, it was not a huge. I, I I can send you a picture of it after we get off. But um, yeah, definitely. It was it, like it turned out really nice, and but it's it's like a lot of work and it's a lot of time. And so I, I've been sort of you know to make that kind of frame, you know, or the, sort of the Dutch revival frames. I've been just content to have Tom do it because honestly, he's, <laughs> he's faster and better than I am. And um, you know, you know, I'd rather. <laughs> I mean, I love doing it, but I also want to paint more. And right now my time is really scarce. So I, do, I, the, I <laughs> do the Dutch frames ever influence the paintings or do the paintings like call for Dutch frames? You know, I think, um, I think sometimes I sort of, I see like, like the floral painting that I made this elaborate frame for you know, it was just something like I had these moldings. It's, it, it's not so much maybe, I think it's individual pieces of molding. Like I have these, I had these wave moldings. They're called uh, Flemlaisten or Flemlaisten. And it's like an S wave goes back and forth like this. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, to me, it sort of, it had movements of sort of these organic movements. Like it just reminded me of flowers. I don't know why, but it did. And it, like, to me, that was like, okay, I need to figure out how to make 
or, or insert this into a frame. And, and so that was sort of, you know, the, the inspiration for that. Um, you know, so it, it's, you know, there's different, there's different, different motivations, I guess. And sometimes just having the right piece of ripple um, is sort of, you know, all it takes. So anyway, it sounds like there's reverberation between the frames and the painting. Yeah. And and again, that, that marriage that I talk about, um, that to me seemed like a good marriage and I think it worked out really nice in the end. And I was, I was happy with the result. So if if you ever want a, for, for the painters who are listening to this good motivation, put a few really nice frames in your studio that are empty and it, and you walk by it every day and you almost force it, it almost forces yourself mm-hmm. yourself to like want to fill them. <laughs> I had a couple of really nice Dutch frames, legit Dutch frames from house of Heidenreich that um, a collector of mine just gave me. Meaning wow. they're like, here, take these frames. They were like insane frames. There was, there were, they were works of art. They were works of art. Like yeah. they, they were intimidating. Oh yeah. And I just kept them in my studio. And they were like, just put something in it. Mm-hmm. And, and they were small, but they were like insane. Yeah. And boy, if it didn't inspire you. Yeah. To put something in it, like something really good. Cause that frame is really, really nice. And I don't want to almost uh, disrespect the frame by putting something crappy in it. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it, sometimes just to have a couple of really nice frames in your studio, you know, whatever, a couple of various sizes, and just keep them there and almost force yourself to be like, I need to fill that with something, you know? Yeah. I mean, work your ass off. I, I've seen, I mean, obviously, I, I haven't seen the frames you're, tra- you're referring to, but I mean, you know, in, Phil- in Philly at the museum, we have some um, amazing, uh, you know, great du- uh, Dutch collection with some also amazing frames. And, you know, uh, if I could ever get a hold of anything like that, oh my God, like, yeah, it'd be so inspiring to, like what can I, what can I put in what it? What can I create yeah. to do justice to this this picture frame? This because it is a work of art, and you know, um, and especially the old ones, they're made with like, you know, they're you know old old uh, f- you know hardwood or fruit wood or something. You know, ebony. wood you can't even get anymore. You can't even get a lot of it. Yeah. yeah, like ebony. Like try buying ebony now. Like to, I mean, it would cost you a fortune. My God. Well, or um, if ethically, if you want to do it, you just have to get like old pieces of it, right? yes yeah i mean it's 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 tricky i think to to really do anything of that level of quality with with today's materials or or what's a uh, there's a straight razor that my uh wife's brother made for me out of uh ebony he got it like a scrap of ebony and he made a straight razor that's ebony is like it's i mean have you ever picked up a, like a chunk of ebony? It's like, it's like holding really? a piece of stone or something. It's yeah. crazy. It's like super heavy. You can, yeah. I have a couple of pieces of old, old ebony, ebony, yeah. and it's, it's crazy. It's almost like lead. You're like, yeah. Like how do you expect it? How, the, the blade must be, to, to be able to cut it, you must, I mean, what kind of blade you would need to, to cut a piece of that? I mean, you need, I have, uh, you, you, need a, you know, in, we use ebony for fretboards and guitars a lot. That's right. On on guitars, still um, Jay, or is did they ch- change much. over? No, not as much. There's now a uh, compressed hemp 
ebony substitute that is like that they use because it's the equivalent density. Um, yeah. and it sounds, I, I think it sounds comparable actually. Didn't Com get Jay, didn't but you have to, when you work with ebony, you have to be very, you have to use a very sharp blade and you have to be extremely careful to not inhale the dust. The dust is very bad. Oh, okay. Why? Because it's a very dense wood and you need a very um, sharp blade to cut it. So it, it ends up being very fine and oh. it could be a carcinogen if you breathe it in. Oh, wow. Same oh, with wow. rosewood, which is another fret, dense fretboard yeah. wood. But you always hear about the rosewood fretboards. But like I said, Gibson came up with a compressed hemp uh, material called ebonite that um, is comparable to ebony in its density and, and sound. Hmm. So that's what- I wonder like, how ebonite would work for frames. Uh, I don't know, but it's <laughs> yeah. you certainly couldn't build a whole guitar out of it because it's so heavy. Well, I was gonna say oh. your frame would weigh like 50 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> veneer, just veneer. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so Carlo, I wanted to get back, I wanted to kind of, uh, talk about your paintings a little bit because sure. um you know i know that you know a lot i don't consider you a still life painter even though you do still life paintings a lot of them um but what how did you start developing your style because it um you know when i see your paintings i i know they're yours um but there's definitely a feeling of that dutch sort of uh still life that traditional, like very high quality Dutch still life in, in your sort of in the spirit of your work. How did you start developing your style? Well, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, when I'm at PAFA, um, like I said, there's a, um, there's a lot of different teachers there with different viewpoints and different ways of, of painting. So um, you have to, you have to kind of sort a lot sort a lot of that out on your own. Um, I, I think um, as far as my style goes, it's, I don't think there's any one person that sort of influenced my style. It's probably a lot of people. So I think, you know, as a student, um, and you know, I remember Daniel Sprick making this comment. He was saying you, you know, when you're learning to paint, you, you, you learn by copying other artists. Um, and I think he, he was just trying to say that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to absorb lessons from these other artists that you admire. Um, not, not necessarily like being a carbon copy of them. Um, so looking at other artists um, and sort of trying to pick apart how they did things. Um, um, and also, uh, so, and also just, just a quick note, 2008, I did the, Hudson, uh, Hudson River Fellowship, and Ted was there. I remember that. He met for the first time. That was, Sorry. like, that's an example right there of, like, how I developed myself. So I, at prior to that, I was really more of a, just sort of, like, a, a direct painter, like, brush to canvas, you know? And then I got there, and I, I, I was, like, watching everybody do these really, like, sort of, you know, pencil cartoons, sort of nicely nicely drawn and all, all, all the nice things you could say about the, the pencil cartoons or what, I don't know what, if that's the term you use for them, but uh, that's what I always call them. In other words, your preliminary, uh, preliminary drawing. And 
so I, I remember, and I was watching some of the GCA people do those. And I thought maybe, I said, maybe I should just try that. You know, so I was watching just how they do it, the process and transfer. Um, Carol, Carol Broman. Oh yeah. Carol yeah. Broman was there. I was watching her do it. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I love that. And I said, so I got back to my studio and I, I started doing that. And so like, that's an example right there. So prior to that, you weren't doing preliminary drawings on your work? I was just, no, I was just like strictly. You're going kind of a la, a la prima? Brush, well, I don't know if you call it a la prima. It was still, it was still a, built up in a sense, but it yeah. was everything was worked out sort of on the canvas. I wasn't doing preliminary studies or drawings or anything like that. It was just like you put the brush down and start, you know. Um, you kind of went the opposite. You were yeah. like, <laughs> exactly. so usually people do like work themselves in preliminary drawings and eventually just go in with the brush. You were like doing that and then went back, you know, kind of went back I to did. the, I not the beginning, but, but that's a great thing. I'm, I'm actually yeah. still going backwards, which is crazy. <laughs> like I'm getting, I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm getting even more, uh, you know, sort of focused on, on, on being more precise and detailed. Um, but, but so, so anyway, the, the, um, well, I was in school, so that I sort of jumped ahead a little bit. But you know, when I was at school, um, I, I got interested in the work of Claudio Bravo, the the Chilean oh, yeah. painter, who's uh, a favorite of mine. And, and there were other painters. I, I looked at a lot of Dutch painters. Um, I think at, any still life painter are around our age was heavily influenced by Claudio Bravo. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of painters who you know have a lot of. Uh, you know, he respects his work and learned a lot about composing and sort of putting a picture together from, from studying his work. I looked at, I mean, I looked at a lot of painters. I mean, again, I looked at Dutch painters. I looked at French painters. I was really, um, I was really into like <laughs> the French Academy painters from like the yeah. time of like David. And even though I wasn't painting works like those guys, like in terms of, you know, multi-figure historical paintings, I just really enjoyed their work. Um, you know, Angra, I loved Angra and, and, and Bouguereau. And so I, I had a lot of sort of influences as far as who I looked at. Um, but, you know, stylistically, I think it just developed sort of, sort of, I, I did what made sense in terms of how I paint. Um, I always, I just sort of did what always made sense to me. And um, whatever I could pick up along the way from like, like I said, places like the Hudson River Fellowship, then just added that to my repertoire. And I just kept um, whatever I could add to my skill set. I did as, as I, I mean, I think that's how you, you anybody does it, right? Hopefully you're always adding, right? Always adding. Yeah. Like I, I, that's what I think. Like, I think, like, I think now I'm like, I'm like 45 and I, I, I still feel like, you know, I have my best work ahead of me. Like I, I God, I hope so. But uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I feel like I'm always each year I'm looking to do something better and sort of, I mean, I don't know, just constantly raising the bar, I guess. I Is it primarily technical that, the bar or is it like in terms of the content of your paintings or the direction, the like kind of tone of them? Well, I think the direction of my work has changed a little bit in recent years. Um, so I, I love Claudio's work for many years, uh, still do. Um, I feel like I've been sort of rediscovering and I say this rediscovering cause I've, you know, I've looked at so many of these Dutch painters when I was a student 15 years ago. Um, but it's like I'm rediscovering 
and reappreciating the beauty in their work again, um, this sort of new unit of time now. Um, it's not that I didn't appreciate it then, but I think I'm appreciating it with a new eye that I maybe didn't have back then. And when you see it as a student and you really feel like you don't even know how to paint, it's like, maybe it's just like so far over your head. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. something impossible, um, you know, and it feels a little more, now it feels a little bit more understandable, I guess, to, to, to look at and sort of break down. And so, I, you know, I've been really looking at a lot, a lot of Dutch painters and I feel like my, I, I've been sort of, trying to create sort of um, takes on these Dutch works, like sort of playful Dutch inspired work with animals and little creatures and um, also flowers too. I've been painting a lot of flowers lately, um, last couple of years, especially. And um, flowers are tough. Flowers. Yeah. Yeah. They are tough. Um, I've been really, really digging into the Dutch floral painters, especially Van Heysen. Van Heysen's been kind of obsessively digging into his work. Um, Those guys are nuts. It's I also fascinating no idea how he did that. learning about like how, because back then they weren't getting flowers shipped from all over the world. And so whatever was in season was what they could paint. And so the bouquets, this is what Katie Whipple was telling me about, but like that the bouquets are bits right and pieces from different times that could never exist together. Yeah, yeah, that that absolutely. Um, and that I I had a little bit of a um, my first foray into that this in the, in the past year. I did a couple small. I I'd call them mini flower pieces. They weren't not, nothing grandiose like Van Heysen, but uh, small, but with lots of flowers that really didn't uh, bloom in the the same time, you know, started in the fall and finished in the winter, uh, like, you know, maybe starting in an August, finishing uh, slowly over a period of time in say like January, February or something. So, yeah, I mean, you just, a lot of these flowers just, you, you just don't find them at the same time. And, um, and these, you, you, you work from life too. So the, the, the idea, idea of getting do that, certain then. flowers is the idea. Of uh, so how, how do I do what you're saying? paint different flowers that aren't together at the same time. Well, the, the, they're, they're just never in the same. So the bouquet um, that I, or the, I should say the mini flower piece that I made, um, those flowers never existed together ever. They're just, they're pieced together. Um, so, you know, I started like in the summertime, maybe I started with, um, so I have some, I have a, I have some rose bushes. I have some rose of Sharon, a couple other things in my garden, my, my very small garden, you know, just starting out with like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put a little Rose of Sharon flower here and I'm going to put a few more here and then I'm going to see what I can get at the florist uh, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, and then I sort of add those in and, you, you know, you overlap them and you sort of weave them in and out of each other. And then you, you do a little bit of, uh, um, you know, accent flowers or sometimes they'll call it checkering with like um, smaller flowers. And you sort of, you just sort of weave these things you weave it together sort of piecemeal and over time it develops into, um, well, developed into these mini flower pieces that I made. Um, and again, these were very small. They're sort of my first go at it, but I'm working on a, you know, bigger one now, but you know, the Van Heysen's, you know, he, his, his were a bit larger. Uh, you know, I think they were 20 by 30 
or a little bit bigger in, in his bigger pieces. And, you know, I'm sure he spent, um, I mean, God, months and months and months on these things. Um, um, some of the older Dutch flower painters like Bruegel, um, you know, there's one Bruegel I have in one of my flower books or uh, floral painter books. It's got over a hundred, hundred different species of flowers in the, in, a, in this one painting. I mean, it's absurd. Um, so completely, I mean, it's got so many flowers, no, no, I mean, you need a bucket or a barrel or something to fit all of them. I mean, it's not really realistic, but it, it's just the, the nature of these things are the fact that they are just not feasible really, you know, and that's, you know, the, the art sort of fantasy bouquets and you just have to sort of treat them like that, I guess. Does it start with a compositional study where you're like envisioning all the, all the different elements that are going to come together, like all the different flowers or does it well, just happen? Well, so my, my first two small ones were just kind of, it kind of start out, uh, started out pretty organically with a couple, just a couple blooms in the middle and just like building out from there. The one that I'm working on now, I actually did some, um, I did some compositional sketches to sort of give me an idea where, I want to sort of put certain flowers and what kind of uh, rhythm I want sort of in the bouquet. Like, um, like some bouquets are sort of symmetrical, you know, and some kind of like a, like a diagonal, you know, so I was kind of doing some sketches there to sort of figure out what kind of uh, movement I want. Again, because of the nature of what you're painting, it's hard to get real, real exact. I mean, you can give yourself kind of a, an idea where things go, but um, it, I, I find there's also a bit of, um, a, I don't know if randomness is the right word, but faith maybe is the right word where you just, okay, you, you sort of get, you get things started the way you want and you just got to like, you're going to fly by the seat of your pants a little bit and like, you know what, this flower is going to go here. Okay. Another one's, and, and you just, I don't know. It's just a little bit of like having faith that you can make something that yeah. is going to make sense in the end. And I don't know. <laughs> Do you, do you faith, faith is the, I don't know, faith, cross your fingers. I don't know. <laughs> do you feel like when you were, your, your experience early on with doing a little bit more of that kind of alla prima really lent it, lent itself to being able to paint, having that faith? Yeah, I definitely. I think it's, it, it was a big help. And um, just, just to sort of go back a bit, my first foray into flowers, or I should say my first big, influence in flower painting was uh was Latour, Fenton Latour. And that was a much more um a much more painterly and a much more atmospheric approach to floral painting. Um I mean amazing works. I mean I, to me he was certainly the best floral painter of the 19th century. I I and I don't can't think of anybody else who would match him in that period. But um I really he was he was a guy I was really looking a lot at as far as technique and an approach uh, to to deal with these very difficult things, um, and so it, it was, and that was really less. Um, I guess that we could say it was less precise and more about like, if you look at Latour, some of Latour's close up, like there's just like a massive amount of paint. Um, you know, he just really didn't. He, he was very masterful with moving it around, but it was just. You know, you know, you get up close. It's like, there's so much pain. It's crazy. Um, and so I, I, that was sort of my, my first sort of influence and sort of direction of, of 
how I painted flowers. And, and sort of in the last year or two is I've been moving again in the opposite direction. I've been trying to get tighter and more precise and less, less like glopped on paint. I know that um, actually an artist, when we were talking about uh, influences and we were talking about Bravo and everything, I remember going to the Met when I was a kid um, and then revisiting this a bunch of times, probably with you, Ted, when we used to go to the Met, um, is, is what's his name? Charles Carroll Coleman. And he was a 19th century American guy. And he, I don't think he was very well known, but he did these floral paintings that I just thought were the, the few that I've seen were designed so beautifully. And he's like a 19th century guy. And I remember going to the Met and the Met has like some of the, I mean, it's a world-class museum, one of the best anywhere. And I just remember being so taken by these still life floral paintings that I was like, I kind of want to do a little bit of this, yeah. you know, but I think Fenton Latour was the other artist that as far as still life goes that I was like, wow, this is like what you can do with this, this technique, which was kind of panned. <laughs> it got just, it's been getting, getting just for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was reading recently. I was, um, a 17th century Dutch uh, art critic who's a, it was a French, a French writer. Uh, his name was Gerard de la race or de, de la rice. I don't know how to, I'm really bad with French pronunciations, but anyways, even back then um, there was a really sort of a classicist sort of attitude towards like, you know, like history painting was, uh, you know, at the top <laughs> and floral painting was for like, very like low <laughs> and, and it was actually also really good for women according to his that was like the perfect genre for women according to this guy because <laughs> for whatever reason it wasn't it wasn't a manly genre um anyway that's these are very old attitudes um that this guy wrote about but i i guess the point being that these attitudes have existed about like hierarchies of painting Walking for a long down time. On, yeah and Giants. um they were I don't know if the Dutch felt that way, but it, it certainly seemed to be a French, a French attitude. So. Well, I mean, when you start thinking about things like still life painting nowadays, um, even in contemporary art, I think it's, I see a lot of still life paintings and I don't necessarily mean realism or classical realism or anything. I mean, if you go to like art Basel or something, you see a lot of objects. I think mm -hmm. People look at objects as characters a lot these days. I think figure painting still, actually, I think figure painting made a big comeback in all its styles and forms. But I also think, you know, everything from, I mean, God, look at Campbell's soup cans. Right? Oh, Warhol? Andy Warhol. Warhol. Yeah. You know, like the idea of the object having this story behind it. Um, I think still life right now in many different styles is is very much a in fashion, very good tool for making the story, you know, whatever the story is. Like a narrative behind the... The narrative can be beautifully um, expressed. You know, one of our good call, our dear friends, John Mora, um, another, you know, still life painter. I mean, yeah. I remember having long discussions with him back in the Water Street days, Ted, about you know objects and how they tell a story, how they have personality, and how you 
how one object, if you mix it with these elements, says one thing. If you mix it with this other element, it says a completely other thing. So, yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, what you're saying about John talking about objects that that's to me, that's like, that's a still life. That's like a born still life painter. Oh yeah. To have that much um, interest or investment in objects. Um, um, you know, I've never, I don't know what kind of collection he has. I, I haven't seen it, but I, it's probably a very nice collection. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, let's just say I collect. I, I'll yeah. Put it mildly. <laughs> I, I collect. <laughs> like antiques? Or everything. I mean, when I, when I was doing sort of, if you go back uh, 70 years, you know, I would mix antiques with sort of contemporary things like, um, so I'd take like antiques, uh, or, you know, tables or something, and I'd have um, uh, and an Ikea feather duster. And so, <laughs> so I was sort of mixing, mixing these things together. But you, you, lately I've been doing, um, I, you know, last, you know, four or five years, I've been collecting a lot more antiques, uh, taxidermy. Uh, a lot of taxidermy, small, small game, nothing huge, but, and also antiques. I, I've gotten some really uh, cool things lately, some old uh, stoneware jugs and um, pewter, pewter things. And I've gotten a bunch of these Dutch, they're, these aren't antiques, they're just reproductions, but the, the way they're blown, they look pretty, they look pretty nice. Uh, there's Dutch glasses with the, you know, the little um, prunts on them or the knobs. Yeah. Buying stuff like that. So some antiques, some reproductions and, you know, but just whatever catches my eye, but I, I love to collect. I mean, that's, to me, that's one of the um, fun parts of my job yeah. is like scouring um, auctions and flea know. markets, crazy yeah. amounts of flea markets. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. You, yeah. um, do you do any teaching or, um, you know, do you have students in your studio or anything like that? Yeah. So, well, Again, prior to COVID breaking out, I, I have uh, I had part time students come to my studio uh, studio every week in Fishtown, um, and and you know I've had that going on for ten years, part time students, um, and then you know I've been teaching a number of workshops. Again, you know, going back to you know shortly after I graduated PAFA, I started teaching workshops. Um, like out in Baca, out in California, oh, yeah. Baca. Uh, up, Linda? Linda, mm -hmm. yeah, Linda Delaney, yeah. And um, Studio in Kamenati, uh, I've taught a number of them there. Um, quite a few places. I, I, I presume at some point when things are a little more, um, you know, better with the pandemic and things are, we're past it, I can get back to in-person teaching, I guess, uh, Hopefully this year, I hope. <laughs> I think a lot of us are really looking forward to in-person teaching again. I know, Ted, you're doing your... You're I'm already doing teaching. it. You're already you're doing, doing it. it. I've been doing it since uh, September, Central. October. At GCA? Yeah. And so what? if you don't mind me asking, what, what kind of like... How do you do... Do you guys have like safety protocols or how does it work? With, yeah, with everybody's COVID? wearing masks. You have to fill out a thing saying that like you haven't been in contact or whatever, but uh, it's just kind of monitoring yeah. everybody kind of doing their best. I much rather hang out with you, Carlo, and then like talk and, you know, in the same room and it'll, it's going to come, but it's just like, this is what we're doing. right now. So I think the idea of teaching you know, I know for myself, when I start doing the workshops in person again, which hopefully will be really soon this year, I'm not going to complain in my head about like, man, this is too hard or this is hard. <laughs> I'm going to be like, this is great. 
yeah. I get to share. Say, I mean, I'm doing it in person. It's it's still it's exhausting, and my back it's hurts a lot. Tough. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's it's nice to just to be there with the students and working with like interesting young artists. Yeah. And I mean, I probably learn more from them than they learn from me. But it's it's always inspiring and. And at least, you know, a lot of hand washing, a lot of, you know, masks and keeping distance. Well, hey, Carlo, we wanted to thank you. I've been um, excited to get you on. I'm a fan of your work. I've admired your your paintings for a while now. So um, I wanted to definitely uh, just thank you for coming on and sort of just sharing a little bit of your time to talk to our audience, uh, you know. Oh man. Well, it is an honor. Really. Thanks so much guys. I really, uh, it's, it's really an honor and, uh, I appreciate you, you know, having me on and Ted, it's good. Good to see you again, man. Yeah. It's great seeing fun. you again. Yeah, man. I hope hopefully in, we, you know, in person, we can catch up one of these days. <laughs> We're actually doing the Hudson river thing again, uh, this year for the first time in years. Yeah. Are you, you going to awesome. be here? Are you gonna yeah. Be? For a bit. Wait, We're, same, yeah. same town. Uh, Hunter Mountain. No, we moved it. We moved it to. Um, it did move up to New Hampshire. Then it stopped for a while, and now it's going to be in. Um, I think near Millbrook. Is, yeah, that, is, that, is that in the Catskills or? Uh, it's not far. Okay. Oh, it's in New York. It's yeah. in New York, Ted. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let, let's all meet up. I'm hey, not going to share such catch up in person. I, I have. I have my own graffiti story. It's not not as probably anything. What? As <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you used to do it? Yeah, I didn't know you got down. Sucked. It was sucked, but I I did one night. I I me I don't know if you know Philly. There's an L there. Oh yeah, train. I know Philly. I've painted a lot in Philly. Yeah, so we we actually uh, one night me and three guys climbed up a couple of roofs and we actually did a um a little uh, piece up on uh, near one of the L stops. Um, oh, so like a rooftop piece alongside yeah. the yeah. 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 Highlight of my 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 very. Uh, graffiti career carlo was it carlo <laughs> one thing i can say is i i covered like every book in the house with graffiti like oh, yeah. books, uh spiral notebooks like i'm sure you guys maybe can relate to that yeah not only that but i the when any of my writer friends my graffiti writer friends would come over my house i just knew stuff was not going to be the same when they left because <laughs> every single you tagged on like the inside of where I keep my forks. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like on the fridge. I'm like, you guys, you guys have eggs in the morning. There's like tags yeah, on yeah, the there's eggs. There's like tags on the eggs. On the cream cheese. I tagged on his cream cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Carlo, thanks so much for yeah, coming thank on, you. man. And uh, where can people? Uh, yeah, yeah. Your so website, uh, carlorussoart.com. And, um, nice. you know, the, Basically, uh, you can see my work, my, you know, show, upcoming shows and so forth. Uh, and then I'm also on social media. Um, uh, you can find me on, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Thank so um, awesome. pretty easy to find on there. Well, Carlo, be safe. We're going to cool. see each other this, this summer. We're going to hang out, okay? I'm forcing you yeah, Totally. Yeah, yeah. great Bron. talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Excellent. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Excellent. Talk soon. I, right. The idea, the idea, the idea. I tell people that I got stabbed during a gang fight. Oh, man. <laughs>